What you got? Oh, um, I went over to Krista's house, like, I mean, I went the night before last, but I also went, like, a week and a half ago, and she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. She said, do you want to listen to your podcast? And I said, no, I'm so sick (laughs) of hearing my own voice. (laughs) If we could do literally anything else, that would be great. But thank you so much, Krista, for actually... Yeah, I was like, you're super nice, but God, no. (laughs) Thank you, Krista. I love you. Oh, also, um, remember how I said my grandfather was in, uh, the Navy? Yeah. He was not. He was in the Marines. I just knew it had something to do with military. Something to do with water. Yeah. But (laughs) he was actually in, uh, the Marines. Which episode is that? Four. Way back. Yeah. Hey, I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Myths and Misfortunes. We're a paranormal true crime podcast. And each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. Or somewhere near, because we can't find anything. So, what are we doing this week? We're doing Mexico. Oh boy! Wait, uh, where in Mexico? Veracruz, Mexico. Okay. Yes. State of Veracruz, Mexico. Yes. The state, not the city, although the city is in the state. (laughs) The city's in the state. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, sorry. Random. Did you know that there's a country of Georgia? Yes. I did not. I knew there was a state. I didn't know there was a country. Everyone, she was in AP World History. Just because I was in AP World History doesn't mean they taught me everything in the world. Some of some of the people in your class acted like it. I mean, yeah, some of them, yeah. They did not teach everything. Let me fix this. Okay. Um, so for the history... My sources are history.com, Britannica.com, and Wikipedia. Good old Wikipedia. I'm starting the history around the 1500s just because I didn't want the history to go on for, like, forever, which was really hard because there was so much about the indigenous people who lived there before the Spanish arrived. Yeah. But I figured if I wanted it to be somewhat, like, concise, then I would just go from the first time it was called Veracruz. Otherwise, it would be a whole podcast just about the history, which I lo- I'd i love, but that's another podcast. Entirely, yeah. So, the Spanish first arrived in Veracruz due to an expedition in 1518, and because the first expedition detected the presence of gold in the region, a second expedition under the command of Hernán Cortés was launched in 1519. This To make it shorter, I changed every and to an ampersand. Is it messing you up? So, well, it changed and in every word. So landed (laughs) is L ampersand E-D. So, um. Lampersanded. Yeah. This expedition landed on April 22nd, 1519. It was Good Friday, which the Spanish also referred to as the Day of the Veracruz or True Cross. So he and his men called the Via- So he and his men called the area Via Rica de la Veracruz or the Rich Village of the True Cross. In the first years after the Spanish arrived, new European diseases and enslavement decimated the indigenous population. Due to the decreased population, African slaves were brought over to work on the sugarcane plantations. 
Veracruz had the largest enslaved population in Mexico during this time. The largest... The largest enslaved population. population. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I heard right. Yeah. In 1570, an African slave named Gaspar Yanga, Yanga led an uprising and established San Lorenzo de los Negros in colonial Mexico. This was one of the only settlements of African blacks to gain its independence and freedom through revolt. After attempting to recapture the slaves and end the revolt multiple times, Spanish authorities decided to negotiate with the community. In exchange for the settlement's freedom, they agreed to no longer raid Spanish communities. In 1630, the settlement reestablished the town of Yanga. Yanga? Yanga. Yanga. Yanga, Yanga. One of those two. (laughs) At the beginning of the Mexican War of Independence in 1810, Guadalupe Victoria, one of the most important independence leaders in Veracruz, assumed leadership of the rebel movement in 1814. He was defeated at Palmias in 1817 and forced into hiding and was eventually imprisoned but managed to escape. He took command of forces in Veracruz that were rebelling against Augustin de Iturbide's imperial rule. After Iturbide's fall, if, if that's wrong, please, I don't know. It, I looked it up. It was not working out. Victoria, Nicolas Bravo, and Pedro Celestino Negrete formed a triumvirate, triumvirate that held executive power until October 1824 when Victoria took office as Mexico's first president coinciding with Veracruz becoming a federal state. The very next year, they created a new constitution. The state experienced political and social instability during much of the 19th century, with conflicts between centralists and federalists, and between (laughs) liberals and conservatives, which slowed economic development and led to frequent revolts. In 1863, Austrian monarch Maximilian was appointed emperor of Mexico by Napoleon III, the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte. French forces conquered and ruled parts of Mexico between 1864 and 1866. They eventually withdrew to the intervention of the United States, who demanded that he relinquish the throne and that Napoleon III withdraw his French forces. During the Mexican Revolution from 1910 to 1920, Veracruz became a battleground for different factions, but at the end of the revolution, peace and stability returned to the region. Veracruz has since grown to be one of the most populated and economically active Mexican states. Today, Veracruz continues to be a very important part of Mexico's economy. The state is rich in natural resources like iron, copper, sulfur, silica, feldspar, calcium, kaolin, and marble. With a pleasant climate and good cuisine and archaeological sites, the port of Veracruz is a favorite seaside resort for Mexican and foreign tourists. The city, situated along the Gulf of Mexico, has become a preferred port for exports to the United States, Latin America, and Europe with 75% of all port activity in Mexico taking place in Veracruz. The chief exports of the state are coffee, fresh fruits, fertilizer, sugar, fish, and crustaceans. Mmm, coffee. Coffee, coffee. Mmm, coffee. All right, so I got some little, like, fun facts about Veracruz. Fun facts. Um, so the coat of arms of Veracruz is a red cross bearing the word Vera, which means true. A yellow tower with a green background represents the Via Rica de la Veracruz and the surrounding vegetation. And there are white columns with the words Plus Ultra, which means further beyond on a blue background. It's decorated by a yellow band with 13 blue stars several spirals, and two floral arrangements. Local witches in Catamaco, Veracruz, believe that on the first Friday of every March, their powers increase, cleansing their spirits of the evil they're surrounded by all year. This day has become a very popular holiday in the region. I almost did my story based just entirely off of this town. Because that day, like, they have so many um, people, like, practicing Mm -hmm. witches, and um, it's just so cool. Mainly, um, male. Really? Yeah. Really? There there were so many really cool articles that I wanted to go through, but... Nine days before Ash Wednesday, Veracruz hosts a famous carnival, or carnival, a festival similar to Mardi Gras. Considered by many to be a celebration of the libido, the festivities precede Lent, a period of spiritual fasting. During carnival, the city buzzes with life and a rich variety of music, dancing, food, performances, culture, fireworks, arts and crafts are on display. 
Considered by many to be Mexico's center of music and dance, Veracruz also hosts the Afro-Caribbean Afro-Caribbean? Afro-Caribbean? Afro-Caribbean festival each year in late summer. Various countries, including Cuba, Jamaica, and Colombia, participate in dance, music, film, and art, exposi- art expositions, as well as business fairs. Oh, cool. And those are my fun facts. <laughs> That's the history okay, those, I got from Mexico. Those were fun facts. I liked your fact about the witches. Yeah, it was a really cool town. I wanted to do my story on it, but I just couldn't find a lot. You make Veracruz sound so cool, but my story just kind of made me a little terrified. Well, so that was one thing that I left out about the history is that there's so much crime in Veracruz, like so many reporters going missing, so much murder, and it's kind of terrifying. But I also found so much stuff about it and I just got so interested in that cool stuff. So I was like, "Mm, she's going to do the murder. I'll let her take it. Well, fun you should mention reporters and murdering of reporters. My story is about the kidnapping and murder of Moises Sanchez Cerezo. Ooh. My sources today were Wikipedia, cpj.org, millennio.com, versions.com.mx, and plumaslibres.com.mx. All right, you got a lot of sources there. Yeah, a lot of sources. This this was a long one. Sanchez began his career in journalism in the late 1980s and early 1990s. He was a newspaper distributor for Notivie, one of the most read newspapers in Veracruz. Hmm. Also, if I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. He first became interested in journalism by socializing with reporters early in the morning, before his daily distribution. He had no college degree or any background in journalism whatsoever. However, years later, he began participating in several civil society projects in Medellin de Bravo and founded the neighborhood of Gutierrez Roseras, where he lived. Like, this guy's, he's on top of it. Okay. He was very active on social media as a reporter and in his community as a taxi driver, small business owner, and a neighborhood organizer. Damn, what didn't he do? Yeah, he he had several odd jobs. He, I don't know if it was to just stay afloat or if it, or if that these odd jobs were his job and that the journalism, journalism, or that the journalism was his passion. So, Sanchez was the founder and director of the weekly newspaper La Union, which was based in Medellin de Bravo, where he covered many different topics, including political corruption, government mismanagement, and organized crime. There was originally a printed version, and he and other citizens would then distribute them themselves, like citizens of Medellin de Bravo. Yeah. However, because of lack of funds, he was forced to switch from the printed version to an online-only edition. Oh. Yeah. Which, you know, works. Yeah. I mean... Some people like the physical feel of a newspaper. Sure. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. I I really like um, the ones you get before Black Friday. Yeah, everyone loves those, though. Yeah. (laughs) Under his management, La Union covered so many different topics. It was more known for its critical and direct reporting style. Oh. Like, it was... Like you didn't hold back, you wasn't a coward? Yeah, he didn't hold back. Sanchez didn't make any money for his media work, which actually really reinforces my thought about it being a passion. Oh, okay. He made his living and provided for his family solely by being a taxi driver and owning a small grocery store. Oh. He was a taxi driver for two reasons. One, he wanted to make money for his family, of course. But also, it allowed him a chance to talk to the people from his hometown daily. This helped him to collect most of his information about citizens' pleas for his media publications. Oh. Despite the fact that he had no formal education when it came to journalism, his colleagues described him as a dedicated news gatherer. Because Medellin de Bravo is located outside of the Veracruz metropolitan area, most media outlets do not cover what goes on in that region. Ah, okay. 
That is what set Sanchez's journalism apart from the others. He wasn't afraid to get in there and do those topics, the hard-hitting topics that... Just like us. Just like us. Absolutely nothing like us. He did (laughs) shit. We sit here. (laughs) Yes. On, On December 13th, 2014, Sanchez published a report on social media that a vegetable merchant had been assaulted and killed in his neighborhood. Oh. That night, the neighbors armed themselves with really anything they had on hand and carried out night patrols in order to attempt to prevent that from happening again. Because they had to do all of this themselves with no help from the local government, they planned to protest for the lack of public safety the government had. In a similar report of Sanchez's, a shootout left a father and son seriously injured. Sanchez and his community then criticized the National Action Party for their lack of apathy. This political party consisted of the mayor of Melodin de Bravo, Omar Cruz Reyes, and the local police. Mm. Keep that m- name in mind. I've already forgotten it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he also made some comments about the mayor's use of the Mexican Navy in order to protect himself. Oh. On the 17th of December, Sanchez and his neighbors got together and formed the self-defense group Committee de Autodefensas de la Colonia Gutierrez Roas Rosas. I am absolutely 100% sure you said all of that correctly. I'm absolutely 100% sure I did not. <laughs> As a reaction to the security problems in the municipality. On December 27th, a day after the mayor's annual press conference, Sanchez reported on his Facebook page about the discovery of two human corpses in Medellin de Bravo. Ooh. Right here, I do kind of want to mention, in doing the research for the story, like you said, Mexico is super dangerous for journalists. It is actually one of the most dangerous countries for them. Just between 2000 and April 2014, more than 100 media workers had been murdered. How many? Murdered. Over 100. Oh, shit. In just 14 years. That's a lot. And that's not just journalists. That's media workers in general. And that's not even including the ones from the past five years. Oh. That's just 2000 to 2014. Hmm. And I feel like that's gone up because when I was looking stuff up mm-hmm. for the history, it was like one after the other. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Yeah. Just that time span. And most of these murders have not been solved, and there are very few perpetrators that have been arrested for them. Many of the journalists killed in Veracruz, much like Sanchez, wrote about organized crime and corruption. At 7.30 p.m. on January 2nd, 2015, three vehicles pulled up to the home of Jose Moises Sanchez Cerezo, located in the Gutierrez Rosas, Rosas, neighborhood of Madeleine de Bravo, Veracruz, Mexico. According to some of his neighbors, at least nine armed men wearing ski masks exited the vehicles and ambushed Sanchez's house asking for him. Sanchez had been asleep in his room while his wife was watching TV with their grandkids. They broke down several doors in the house and trashed a few rooms before taking his computers, camera, and cell phones. The kidnappers then forced him, at gunpoint, into one of their vehicles. He was such a good family man, though. While his life was being threatened, he was asking these guys to not hurt his family. Aww. It was so sweet. So, his son claimed that the neighbors had called the police shortly after all of this happened, but that their calls hadn't been answered. Hmm. They then proceeded to call the Federal Military Agency, the Secretariat of National Defense, which then deployed agents throughout Medellin de Bravo. It was then several hours later before law enforcement authorities actually showed up to the house. Sanchez's family went to the offices of the Eternal General of Veracruz in order to formally issue a complaint for his disappearance before midnight. Remember, this was 7 p.m. when they came and kidnapped him. Yeah, and it... So, state authorities then proceeded to carry out an investigative operation overnight in an attempt to locate him. There were a lot of reactions to Sanchez's kidnapping. The citizens felt very strongly about him because of all of his hard-hitting news. Yeah. 
The Press Freedom Organization, Article 19, condemned the attack and asked for the Office of Mexico's Attorney General Office to take over the case. They also asked the Mexican government to provide protection for his family and to guarantee the journalist's safety and protection. The New York-based press Freedom Group Committee to Protect Journalists also condemned the attack and asked for the authorities to increase their efforts in locating Sanchez. So this has obviously come all the way up to America. This same group also said in a report that Veracruz state authorities have, in the past, tried to dismiss the connection between the journalists' professions and their murders. Protests were also carried out a few days after the abduction in both the state of Veracruz as well as nationwide by journalists and others who demanded to know Sanchez's whereabouts. Several protesters around the country criticized the government of Veracruz for failing to protect journalists. On January 5th, outside of Madeleine de Bravo City Hall, a group of journalists demanded authorities for Sanchez's safe return. In a sign of protest, the attendees placed their cameras and placards on f- on the floor of City Hall. One of Sanchez's brothers challenged Cruz Reyes to walk out of City Hall and speak to the protesters. Journalists also asked for the removal of the mayor's political immunity in order to facilitate the investigations pending against him. On January 3, 2015, the government told reporters at the press conference that all lines of investigation were being considered in the case, including that of Mayor Reyes. Investigators allege that Sanchez's reports at a La Union, at a La Union, <laughs> at La Union, and his Facebook page reportedly angered Cruz Reyes. This investigation stated that three days prior to Sanchez's kidnapping, Sanchez had learned that the mayor had plans to silence him. Oh. And teach him a lesson. Oh. The family suspects that Cruz Reyes is the mastermind behind his cap. Mm behind his kidnapping because he was angry at his former friend for critical remarks against the local government. Cruz Reyes denied all of the allegations, saying that he was worried and saddened about the incident. He did agree to cooperate with the investigation and said that he had not met with the family in order to not obstruct the investigation. Cruz Reyes said he had a clear conscience and that Sanchez was a close friend of his, even stating publicly, Sanchez was with our team during our political campaign. We were very close to him. Sanchez and Mayor Reyes were, in fact, close friends, at least until December 2012. They were frequently seen together at campaigns while Cruz Reyes was running for office. However, when Reyes did not appoint Sanchez as head of the Director of Social Communication in Medellin de Bravo, a post that Sanchez really wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he really wanted it. Problems began to arise. When that position was given to a female reporter from Veracruz, the animosity between the two was created. After this incident, Sanchez's stances on Reyes changed. On September 4th, the Veracruz attorney general met with the family and assured them that the authorities were searching for Sanchez. How long was this after he had actually gone missing? This was only two days after he'd gone missing. He got kidnapped on January 2nd. Hmm. On January 3rd, 2015, the governor told reporters at a press conference that all lines of investigation were being considered in the case, including that of Mayor Reyes. Ooh. This guy gave some seriously mixed signals about the importance of the case to the family. He said that the agency working the investigation could give them any details, but he promised he would get back to them as soon as the investigation progressed. Mm-hmm. He also told them that the case wasn't giving it, given any special attention because he had been a reporter. What? Yeah. He then told them that the investigation was going well and the authorities were working on several leads. <laughs> Okay. He also made sure to elaborate that it was important to keep the detail and evidences of the investigation secret. In Which order to- I somewhat understand. Yeah. You know, in order to not jeopardize his safety. Yeah. But also, he's giving this family so many mixed signals. Yeah. Just 
It's like, we care, but we don't care that much. We can tell you, but we can't tell you that. Yeah, exactly. So, then the next day, January 5th, the Veracruz state authorities detained the municipal police force of Medellin de Bravo. An announcement was made, and they informed that the 48-hour legal detention of the police officers was done in order to investigate the possible involvement of the agents in Sanchez's kidnapping. Hmm. All 36 members of the police force were detained for questioning. Dang, all of them? All of them. On January 7th, an extension was ordered by a state judge for 13 of policemen to 30 days. An extension. They had to hold them for 30 okay, days. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's what I was like. There had been some evidence that the police didn't do what they were supposed to do. Mm. If they had, they could have prevented Sanchez from being kidnapped. On January 12th, Cruz Reyes went to the Attorney General's office for questioning and to issue his declaration on the, on the case. This was done voluntarily upon invitation because he still had political immunity under Mexico's constitution. Under an oath, Cruz Reyes stated that he wasn't involved in organized crime and that he had nothing to do with Sanchez's disappearance. He claimed that the two never had any issues and that they were always very cordial. The next day at a press conference, the mayor stated that the authorities were merely using him as a scapegoat and asked that they remain impartial and consider other lines of investigation as well. Remember, though, he went voluntarily. So... Finally, on January 24th, 2015, Sanchez was found, 22 days after his kidnapping. Unfortunately, he was not found alive like everyone would have liked. His throat had been cut open by his kidnappers and he had been decapitated while he was still alive. Oh my God, while he was still alive? While he was still alive. His body was then dismembered and placed inside of a plastic bag and abandoned in Manlio Fabio Altamirano Veracruz. Damn. Just a day before, the police had arrested six of the officers that had been in question. Mm. During the police investigation, Clement No Rodriguez Martinez, a former police officer, an alleged drug trafficker who had confessed, one of the six guys, stated that the deputy police chief is the one who ordered the abduction and murder of Sanchez. Mm. Mm. The interesting part about this, the deputy Martin, Martin Lopez Menzies mm-hmm. was the mayor's chauffeur and personal bodyguard. Oh. The attack, according to Martinez, was masterminded by Mayor Reyes. At a press conference the following day, the attorney general confirmed to the public that the kidnapper had taken Sanchez with the sole intention of killing him for his reports about violence in uh, Medellin de Bravo. Wow. Apparently, their drug rings had been interrupted the month before when Sanchez had asked federal authorities to patrol the area. Oh. Investigators also concluded that he was killed the same day that he was kidnapped. So literally nothing that any of the protesters were doing helped at all. He was already killed. The corpse was officially identified after one of his fingers had been rehydrated so that they could match his prints. I'm sorry. Rehydrated. That's so weird. I didn't know that was a thing. Well, you also have to think his corpse was now 22 days old. Yeah, I just, I don't, I never thought, like, you could, about rehydrating a finger. I mean, they have dehydrated meat. You can rehydrate meat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Despite this, Sanchez's son refused to believe that this was the corpse of his father. Oh. And asked the, author- the authorities for DNA proof. It wasn't until January 27th that the body was confirmed through DNA analysis to belong to Sanchez. Dang. This was uh this was reconfirmed by federal authorities on February fifth, twenty fifteen, because Sanchez's son still didn't believe that it, it was him. Yeah. Even after DNA that well, was even after DNA. Even after DNA by the state authorities. Huh. Like, 
That day, February 5th, his body was handed over to his family, where they held a short wake for him with their friends, neighbors, and members of the neighborhood self-defense group. That's so sad. Oh, yeah, it's very sad. Like, it's it's horrible. I can't, can't even imagine being in their place. Now, since the men who confessed to kidnapping and killing Sanchez stated that the mayor was the master was the mastermind behind their plan. Authorities finally wanted to look into the allegation more. <laughs> finally. So, they finally said that they wanted to strip the mayor of his political immunity in order for him to be processed legally as a regular citizen. However, this was a long and legal process. It would take a minimum of 25 days and require 34 votes in Vera Cruz's Congress in order to do that. Once done, Cruz Reyes would be officially notified of the charges against him and he would need to appear in court and present his defense. This guy, he's still denying it. He said that the Congress's insistence to strip him from his political immunity was not rooted in political or partisan interest. So we're just going to rewind about a week earlier. On January 29th, Martinez, who's the one who blabbed about everything. Yeah. He was formally charged by Veracruz State Court for murder and held without bond. Uh, Two other officers, Jose Francisco Garcia Rodriguez and... I want to say Luigi, but it's not Luigi. (laughs) L-U-I-G-U-I. Um... That's what I said. I want to say Luigi. Luigi? Luigi. Mm. Lu- Luigi Herberto Bonui. Okay, it's L-U-I-G-I? G-U-I. Oh, hold on, say it. What? L-U-I-G-U-I. Okay. And I'm just going to say it. And Luigi Herberto Bonuila Savaleta, <laughs> along, with, along with Lopez Menzies were transferred to state authorities to Veracruz for a hearing. All three of them denied their participation in the kidnapping and murder of Sanchez. They decided to not issue a legal declaration, answer any questions, or exercise their their right to remain silent. Okay. Yeah. According to a document read by the court secretary, Reyes and Lopez Meneses, were at a nightclub known as La Baranchuda the day Sanchez was killed. The mayor was with his family and friends enjoying a concert, while Lopez and other policemen were outside guarding the premises. While at the concert, the mayor and the police were notified by the press secretary of the municipal government that Sanchez had been forcibly taken from his home and that the journalist family required police protection at their home. Rodriguez and Zavalada were at Tulipane Street in Gutierrez-Rosas neighborhood, which was where Sanchez lived, Okay. the moment the kidnapping had occurred. They apparently didn't notice anything unusual <laughs> and were eating hot dogs when the abduction took place. Okay. They were called that they were eating hot dogs. <laughs> Oh, yes, I recall. I was eating a hot dog. I had mustard, no ketchup, uh, on a actu- pretzel bun. Actually, one of them, I wasn't going to add this, but one of them did mention that he had a text from his wife saying something. But he remembered he had a text from his wife that he was responding to when they got the call. Mm. As they were patrolling the area, they were notified through the radio that someone had been kidnapped. They interviewed a woman who said she was angry because she she had called the local authorities and when no one arrived, that she had to call the Navy. <laughs> like, she was so pissed off. She called local authorities. No one showed up. So she had to call the Navy and finally she got a response. What? Yeah. Both of them said that they had seen Sanchez before and knew who he was, but knew absolutely nothing about his abduction and murder. They were both charged with homicide and failure to fulfill a legal duty. 
Lopez said he knew that Sanchez was a reporter who criticized the mayor and wrote about violence in Medellin de Bravo, but he also claimed his innocence. So on February 3rd, Lopez Menzes, Garcia Rodriguez, and Boniles Zavaleta were officially charged with homicide and also a failure to fulfill illegal duty, crimes which were all considered grave under Mexican law. They were held without bond and imprisoned. So, February 11th, Cruz Reyes, who was the mayor, asked for a 59-day leave of absence to the municipal government. Hmm. He asked for this in order to attend his legal issues and not disrupt his municipal duties. The leave of absence was granted and an interim mayor was appointed. On March 26, 2015, political immunity was finally stripped of him. Good. With 35 votes in favor and only 13 against. With this legal action, the authorities were finally able to investigate and arrest Reyes. They, the congressman concluded there was enough evidence in order to prosecute him, but he was still innocent until proven guilty. His defense, however, stated that he had plans to request an injunction for the Congress's decision within the next 15 days. They stated that there were several inconsistencies before giving the verdict. (laughs) Funny thing, though. His lawyer stated that Cruz Reyes was in hiding somewhere in the state, but not in Medellin de Bravo. What? And he's still hiding to this day. They have not found him. Like, he he just bounced? He just bounced. What he the- disappeared. Wow. Like, he has a Twitter account. There's been no post since the day he left office. I wonder if he's dead. Entirely possible. So, I mean, the family got a little bit of closure because, like, five of the guys were arrested. Yeah, but... They were all doing it from because of his orders, probably. Exactly. And he's been gone for almost five years. Damn. Five years. He was granted 59 days, and he's been gone five years. I can't believe they actually let him leave. Like, they didn't have him under constant surveillance? Nope. Not at all. So, in my opinion, he's just admitting his guilt. Yeah, obviously. So, he's gone... When he's found, he's going to jail. So that is the kidnapping and murder of Sanchez. Very cheery. Very cheery. Oh, it's my turn. Yes, it's your turn. So my story today is about the Chaneques slash Alushes. Ooh. Yes. My sources are wikivisually.com mythicalcreaturescatalog.com, worddisc.com, culturacollectiva.com, matadornetwork.com, and this one podcast called Mexico Unexplained. So what So what are they? Cheneque, meaning Cheneque, Cheneque, meaning those who inhabit dangerous places are legendary creatures in Mexican folklore. They're also called Alushas by the Mayan people, which is, it's in a different area. Yeah. Um, They seem to be kind of similar to leprechauns and brownies. Okay. They're kind of cool. All right. So there are multiple descriptions of these beings because some people say that they can sort of change to become more similar to their surroundings. So they're like highly attuned to their environment. Mm -hmm. So some people say they can even turn invisible. Like an octopus. They can can mimic their background. Yes, it's a leprechaun octopus. (laughs) Um, They're generally described as fully human, but in smaller forms, sometimes around like two feet tall. Mm -hmm. Usually not higher than your knees, so maybe a little bit shorter. Cat-sized. Uh, no. No? She's to your knee when she stands up straight. Uh, Yeah, but I'm short. I think the people here are taller. Okay, good point. So, somewhere between knee height and two feet tall. Somewhere around there. Okay. That might be the same. I don't know. 
I'm not good at measurements. Jeez. I have a ruler in here somewhere. There it is. Yeah, that's definitely taller than my knee. <laughs> there you go. Two feet. Yeah. Okay. They tend to have large eyes, sometimes glowing red. Their noses are larger than a normal human's, and their ears are pointed like an elf. Aww. Yeah. Sometimes they're said to look like children with the faces of elderly men and women. Well, that's creepy. Yeah. That's... <laughs> some are said to wear straw hats and clothes, and they carry bags made of cloth. In some legends, the Alushur Cheneke carry around slingshots to use in hunting, um, or for shooting stones at humans. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Just, ow! Yeah. <laughs> that had a perfect arc, like, in my headphones. In recent sightings, the creature has been described as hairless, almost alien-looking, with a large forehead, big black eyes, and claws on its feet and hands. So they have black and red eyes. Depends on who sees them. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, a lot of the pictures that I saw that were supposed to look be what they look like kind of look like Dobby from Harry Potter. <laughs> so weirder looking. So they're supposed to be guardians of households, rivers, creeks, meadows, or parts of jungles, and the people or animals that live there. So house elves. Kinda, yeah. Okay. They consider themselves the owners of these places and things. Oh, so not so house not really house elves. Yeah. They sometimes work together with local spirits and gods to affect changes in their environments, like summoning rain, for example. They usually leave people alone as long as nature or the building they reside in is respected, but for those who intrude or damage their environment, they'll have to pay for it. Yeah. So, sightings of Alusha's or Chenekes are... Chenekes? Are more common by children than by adults. Of course, sightings by children are often dismissed as, like, imaginary friends or parts of made-up stories. Yeah. But parents who believe in these creatures tell their children to be careful while playing in the wilder areas, as there are a lot of stories of children being kidnapped. Oh, so, like, sounds like the beginning of a, of the, um... Like a brownie. They're said to attack intruders, frightening them so their soul abandons their body, which the Cheneke would capture and bury somewhere on the land. If the victim didn't recover their soul through a specific ritual, which I actually couldn't find, mm -hmm. like, every link that I found was like, you have to use this specific ritual, but nobody said what it was. So, good so luck. Wait, <laughs> they bury the soul? Yeah, they bury okay. their soul. Okay. Yeah, if they don't recover their soul, then he or she would become ill and die soon after. Oh. There are actual symptoms for this. Oh. Uh, they first present as loss of appetite and excessive sleeping. Without their soul, the symptoms progress to weight loss, diarrhea, vomiting, headache, and feeling constantly cold. They also have nightmares of when the creature took their soul, and they become sad, distracted, and absent, and don't respond to their environment at all. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Super friendly. Yeah. So some people believe that they're not protectors of households, but are actually mischievous spirits who cause accidents and spread misfortune. In these cases, the presence of a chaneke... Chaneke? Mm, every, every time. Chaneke. Chaneke? Within a house is revealed by the subtle stink of rotten meat. I know a couple other things that might be. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing they're known for is leading people astray for three to seven days, after which the victims don't remember anything that happened, but it's thought that they're taken by the Cheneke to their home in the underworld through a tree. In the underworld, so demons. Yes. Sure. Yeah. I guess kind of, yeah. It Farm explains the rotting flesh. Yeah, I guess it would, yeah. Well, a lot of people consider them to be like, um, well, I'll get to it. I'll get okay. to it. Farmers are supposed to ask for permission from them to farm or build on new property and leave behind food and even cigarettes sometimes for them. They like their cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, they're old people. Yes, okay. Child Valid. bodies. Valid, yeah. Um, some people believe a Cheneke or a Louche is called into being when a farmer builds a... Like, okay, so when they start planting on their property, they also have to build a little shed. Mm-hmm. 
And for seven years, the creature will help the corn, like corn is the most likely thing to grow, will help the corn grow, summon rain, and patrol the fields at night, and will whistle to scare off predators or crop thieves. And at the end of those seven years, the farmer has to close the windows and doors of the little shed, sealing the Aleutian inside. But why? Because if they don't, the Aleutian will run wild and start playing tricks on people. Ah. Yes. Stories say they will occasionally stop and ask farmers or travelers for an offering. And if they refuse, the creature will often wreak havoc, like stealing your keys, jewelry, money, and spreading illness. However, if their conditions are met, it's thought they'll protect a person from thieves or even bring them good luck. If they're treated with respect, they can be very helpful. Very much like brownies. So, okay. They have to meet conditions? Like, yeah. do they, like, they form a contract? Mm, no. Well, okay. So it really depends on what area they're in. If it's a Cheneke or an Alush. Like, a lot of people consider them to be the same thing. It just, there are certain things that different groups of people who believe in this being, mm-hmm. um, believe in about them, basically. Okay. I'm still seeing demons here, but okay. Don't be rude. <laughs> so, it's believed that it's not good to name them aloud. Damn, you're right. <laughs> As it'll summon a disgruntled Alush from its home. I also found that they don't need to have sex, and they aren't concerned or with, like, reproducing. Like, it just does not matter to them. Right. So, some people suspect that the Mayans' belief of the Aleutian developed through interactions with the Spanish or pirates during the 16th century. Pirates of that era were mostly from the British Isles, where belief in fairies was really common, especially amongst those of the lower socioeconomic class, uh, which pirates yeah usually would have been um however the maya people themselves believe that the elusher spirits of their ancestors or spirits of the land itself and existed long before western civilization oh okay and catholic beliefs you're gonna like this one demons (laughs) um close uh, the Chinike are the souls of children who died without Christian baptism. Oh, Jesus. They're sort of violent child demon who preys on people who wander the forest or jungles of Mexico. Black-eyed children. Yeah. <laughs> they confuse people to make sure they, they get lost and then eat them at night. Yeah, to get rid of them, you have to turn your shirt inside out or yell one three times to break the spell. One. 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 One, one, one. Like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> um, they're said to dislike salt, so children are often baptized with a pinch of salt in their mouth or on their forehead to protect them from the chanake. Okay, but salt is good in any, like food. Well, yeah, I meant like protection. Oh, yeah, that too, that too. There are parts of the Maya area where people believe that Aleutians can be created by humans through shamanic ceremonies. Property owners will make an Aleutian out of the clay, uh, out of clay with a heart made of honey. Aww. It also has to include nine drops of blood from the landowner. Less all. Less all, but also it's just drops. It's not like nine gallons. <laughs> yeah. Then they take it to a shaman or a priest who calls upon the wind, sun, rain, and earth for a proper alignment to create the perfect guardian spirit that'll enter the clay figure. After the ceremony, the small statue is placed in an inconspicuous corner of the person's property. It's supposed to come to life once night falls. The person who created the clay figure has to maintain the statue by leaving offerings and ask the Alush for permission or forgiveness for building uh, or growing plants or anything that changes the land at all. Mm-hmm. The shaman who creates the Al- Alush is, also has the power to counteract the being's malevolent power. So if an Alush is up to bad tricks, the shaman can intervene on behalf of the landowner by making special offerings in a ceremony. Okay. In extreme cases, like when they're being blamed for disease or pestilence, the shaman will conduct a ceremony where the clay figurine is shattered by a big rock which releases any curses or the landowner's obligations to it. So just plopping a rock on a statue. Kinda, yeah. There are 
also water chinookes that can take the form of ferocious alligators or water lizards. Alternatively, they ride on the backs of these things like they're boats. Okay, I like the boat better. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're supposed to live at the bottom of marshes with alligators guarding their homes. I couldn't really find a lot on that type, but it seemed interesting. Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, I did want to add something. I just kind of remembered what it said. I know cryptozoologists were kind of interested in it for a little while, but like they were trying to prove if it really existed. I couldn't find the link for it, so I didn't want to add it, but it's kind of interesting. It's just that a farmer claimed to have captured one in like the 2000s. Mm-hmm. There aren't any photos from it, but the investigators determined it was really a howler monkey that had mange and lost all of its hair. Which oh. seems to be fairly common when people find evidence mm-hmm. of them, but they're pretty elusive, so I doubt they would even let themselves be captured anyway. Yeah. So that is the Chineke slash Alush. If I said all of that, any of that wrong, I'm sorry I Googled. I tried. Google can only do so much. Yeah. We took French, and not I'm Spanish. still not good at that. Yeah. We're really not good French. No. (laughs) I did great in class. But those were our stories. That, yeah. So you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortunes. Or you can just search for us on Twitter using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We'd pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. We're on a bunch of different things now. That's it. That's it. Thanks so much. Bye.